You're opening your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we're starting a little mini-series through the book, or the book, through John chapter 3. It's going to take us up to Easter morning. And as I was um, studying for this week, I was just reading through uh, the, just John chapter 3 in general. And, and I, I kept seeing one topic kind of bubble to the surface. And that one topic that I saw in 36 verses three times is that of eternal life. And so you've heard me say this. I, I, I've said this before. I said, if you see something repeated, whether it's in a few verses or in a chapter, if you see something repeated, you need to take note of that and kind of go, well, okay, that, that's being repeated. How come? All right. So I, I, saw, I kept seeing this thing about eternal life. In fact, if you look with me at a few verses, you'll see it. Um, if you look at verse 14 of chapter 3, it says, And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him may have, have what? Eternal life. Look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have, what? Eternal life. Look at verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has, what? Eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal life. So I thought, Hey, guess what I want to talk on? Anybody guess? Eternal life. And, and, and that's where we're going to be going for this week, next week, and then ending on Easter Sunday, talking about this thing called eternal life. So let's dive into this today. Here's the first thing about eternal life that we're going to look at. It's number one there on your outline. Write this down. Eternal life means entering into the presence of God. Eternal life means entering into the presence of God. So there in chapter 3, starting with verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So here's this guy by the name of Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Now, for you and I, we don't know what a Pharisee is because we don't have Pharisees. But in Jesus' time, there were a bunch of these guys, and Pharisees were the religious leaders, the religious teachers. They were like, in their minds, uh, the cream of the crop, okay? Everybody else were, were Joe Bag of Donuts, were the Pharisees. We know everything when it comes to God's law and God's word. Don't ever think they thought they were the spiritually elite, okay? So Nicodemus is one of these guys. He's a Pharisee. Now notice it also it says that Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews, all right? What that means was he was a Pharisee, but he was also part of this, this council called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was the, the legal court, and, and, and they oversaw uh, the crimes of people, and they also passed the judgments. So even if it was stoning, if someone broke the law, how many of you, a lot different back then than it is today, all right? There was no um, 10 years on the appealing my case on death row. It was the, 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 the Sanhedrin heard the case. Oh, you committed adultery. God's word says if you commit adultery, you'll be stoned. Done. That was the Sanhedrin. 
Nicodemus was part of that. So he was a Pharisee, and he, he was on this ruling council. And he comes to Jesus at night. And notice it says, it says rabbi, meaning he, that he, he announces that, that Jesus is a teacher. He, he gets it. And he says, we know. I'm, I've read that, and I'm like, more than likely, I'm thinking this was probably the Pharisees. They, they, they had a council meeting. And they all came together, and they're talking about this new guy that's uh, just kind of went through Jerusalem. And he, he, he remember, we, this is all happening within a few days uh, at, at the Passover time. And, and Jesus had gone through the temple, really messed things up, and then he starts performing signs. He starts doing things. And we saw that last week from verses 23, 24, and 25. He's doing signs, meaning he's performing miracles. But we don't know what those miracles were. Probably healings. People coming, receiving their sight. People, mute people talking. Deaf people hearing. We don't know. But he was doing signs and the people were taking notice. All right? So notice what it says here. Nicodemus says, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. So not only were the people seeing Jesus do these signs, guess who else was? The Pharisees. And they were taking note. And here's the problem. If you recall from last week in verse 20 23, it says that the people were seeing Jesus do these signs, and they were what? Remember? Believing in him. They were starting to believe in who Jesus was. And so what that means is they're no longer looking to the Pharisees for religious direction. Who are they looking to? Jesus. And the Pharisees were probably like, time out. We can't have this. We're the spiritual elite. We're the teachers of the law. Who's this guy? And so we know from the Gospels that as Jesus' ministry progressed, the Pharisees came to the point they hated Jesus. So they have this little business meeting talking about this guy doing these signs. And they're like scratching their heads going, this is impossible. Only God can do these kind of things. Only someone who has God with them can do these kind of things. Now, it says that Nicodemus comes to Jesus that night. More than likely, it's because Nicodemus is going, man, I got some questions I got to ask. I got to find out who this guy is. But he, peer pressure, I can't let the other Pharisees know what I'm doing. Because, man, if I go to this guy and talk to him, they are going to want to know, why did you go to him? So at night, walks through the city, finds out where Jesus is, and he goes, I need to talk to you. What you're doing is amazing. I mean, I've never seen things like this, and we've talked about this, and we've never seen anything like this, and the only way this can be happening is if God is with you. So can we have a discussion about this? Because I'd like to know, how are you doing these signs? Well, look what Jesus has to say to Nicodemus. Look at verse 3. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, how many of you know that just sounds like Jesus wasn't even paying attention? 
Nicodemus is like, I need to find out, man. How did you do these signs? Are, is God with you? I mean, because we're talking about this. How people are believing in you. Oh, you can't get to God. You can't get into God's kingdom if you're not born again. That's not what I asked. We're not talking about that. I want to know how are you doing these signs? It's almost like Jesus just went off on a tangent. Why is Jesus talking about God's kingdom and being born again when Nicodemus is talking about signs? You see, here's the thing. Nicodemus comes and he's verbally talking about, I want to talk about signs. But we got to also remember in verse 23 through uh, 23, 24 and 25. In verses 23 and 24, 25, Jesus says that he knew what was inside of people. He knew the heart of people. Remember, there are times where even Jesus was able to read the minds of people. He knew what they were thinking. So verbally, outwardly, Nicodemus wants to talk about signs. But Jesus, guess where he's seeing? The heart. He's seeing what's really inside of Nicodemus' heart. And so even though Nicodemus is talking about, hey, I want to talk about signs, Jesus is like, Nicodemus, let's get to the real issue that you, that why you're here. Let's get to the real issue, Nicodemus, because here's the thing about, we got to understand about Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. So that means as a Jewish man, as a Jewish boy, he would have been taught and trained and raised up in the law. He would have known this thing. And now he's a Pharisee. Meaning he is a, he, he is, he, he's a, a, an expert of the law. He knows the Old Testament. And now he's also a teacher. So that means he has students. And guess what he's now doing? He's teaching the law. He's teaching people, here's, here's what the law says. Here's what the prophets say. And he's teaching this stuff. Now here's the thing. As a Pharisee, as a Jewish man... His whole life, he would have been conditioned with this one thing. Obey the law. Obey the law. You do what God says. And here's the thing. If you obey the law and you do what God says, guess what happens? You're right with God. And you'll get to enter into his kingdom. And so as a Jewish person, that's what he's been trained to, to believe and to think his entire life. And now he's even teaching people that. If you just obey the law, you live perfectly, you do it right, you'll get to God. But something must have been stirring in his heart. Because even the Pharisees were adding things to the law to get the people to even walk more stricter, thinking, hey, if you'll just even do these things, you're going to be okay. I believe there was something in Nicodemus's heart that was stirring, saying, how do I know? How do I know if I do this all right, I'll get to the kingdom of God? And so Jesus is like, hey, Nicodemus, can I tell you the truth? You got to be born again in order to get to see the kingdom of God. When he says to see the kingdom of God, he's talking about entering into the kingdom of God. And when we talk about the kingdom of God and entering into it, he's talking about entering into the presence of God, the place where God dwells. That's the kingdom of God, all right? We do know that Jesus at one time, <clears throat> man, my throat is still um, <clears throat> off from being sick. 
We know that Jesus at one time will tell people, he says, the kingdom of God is near you and it's even in you. But sometimes we kind of think the kingdom of God is just this this kind of thing, but it's not. The kingdom of God is the presence of God. It's where God dwells. And there's three places that we see scripturally that we will see the, the kingdom of God. One is when described in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, when the apostle Paul says, to be absent from the body, anybody know the rest? It's to be the present with the Lord. So the first kingdom of God is in, in, is in the now. When you die physically as a believer, your spirit is in the presence of God in heaven. That's the first place of the kingdom of God. The eternal, the, the, the heaven that, that all believers are with now. In Hebrews chapter 13, it says that when, when we die, we will move and come into the place where God's, um, the, the holy city is at, where, where God is at, where Jesus is at, and all the saints are at. It's heaven. That's the first kingdom of God. The second kingdom of God that we're going to experience is in Revelation 19. When the tribulation period is over, it says that Jesus and all of his believers are returning from heaven back to earth. And in that moment, Jesus is going to establish his kingdom for a thousand-year reign on the earth. That's the second kingdom of God. But then there's a third in Revelation chapter 20. There's going to come a time that when the, when the, final, the final judgment's done and, and people are sentenced, that this heaven, the, the, the universe, and this earth are going to be destroyed by fire. And it says that God's going to create a new heaven, a new universe, and a new earth. And that the holy city that's in heaven right now is going to come down and it's going to be on this earth. And God himself is going to dwell on this earth. And it says that he will dwell with us and we will dwell with him, his kingdom. That's the eternal kingdom that you and I, heaven is just, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like pit row in, in the Indianapolis 500. It's just a pit stop until the new heaven and new earth are created. That loved one is the eternal kingdom that you and I will live eternally with God forever and ever and ever. So there's three kingdoms that's going to take place. And Jesus is talking about to Nicodemus, if you want to see these kingdoms, you got to be born again. And so we need to ask ourselves then, what is this whole idea about being born again? So here's the second thing. Not only does Jesus talk about the kingdom of God, but he tells them how to get there. Here's the second thing. Write this down. In order to have eternal life, you must be born again. If you want eternal life, if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to enter into his presence, you are going to have to be born again. And that's what he says there in verse 3. Jesus says, truly, truly. Now, when Jesus is going to say those two words three times, truly, truly, in these, in these 12 verses. And when he says those words, when he repeats those words, what he's doing is he's introducing something that is vitally important. Okay? This is not some casual thing. He is stressing a truth to Nicodemus, and he's trying to get Nicodemus' attention. And he's like, Nicodemus, I'm about to say something to you that's going to shatter your world. 
you need to listen to me. Open up your ears and get ready for a truth that's going to be so deep, you're not even going to understand it. And so he says, truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Because when you talk about seeing the kingdom of God, it's talking about entering into the kingdom of God. And if you are not born again, according to Jesus, you do not get to enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus is trying to hammer home to Nicodemus one important truth, and it's this. Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God, it's not about having more religious teaching. Nicodemus, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, if you want to see the kingdom of God, it's not about how you perform. Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, it is not about being more religious. It's not about moral perfection. Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God, here's the truth. you got to be born again. You've got to be born again. In fact, if you look at verse 7, Jesus even says, do not marvel at what I say. He says, you must be born again. Let me ask you, is Jesus putting any option in there? No. He's not, he's, not giving, he's not giving just an alternative route. He's not just giving another way to God. He's giving what? The only way to God. And that only way to God is through the path of being born again. And that's what he's saying to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you have got to be born Again, if you are not born again, you do not get to heaven. If you are not born again, you do not get to see the kingdom of God. If you are not born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. If you are not born again, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you have got to be born again. And look what Nicodemus says in verse 4. And Nicodemus said, he says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a, a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus, he's not getting this thing. He's like, I, what, what, what do you mean, born again? Look how old I am. I can't be born again. That, that's physically impossible. He's not understanding it. He does, he's, he's like, I, I, I hear the words, but I don't get it. What do you mean, born again? I would love to present that question to Christians, people who go to church, and ask them, can you tell me what it means to be born again? I would love to know how many Christians would be like, well, you know, it, it, you know it's, it's, it's going to heaven. What does it mean to be born again? How many of you think that's an important question to figure out? Okay. <laughs> 
So Jesus tells Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God, he gives them the direction. You got to be born again. So Nicodemus is asking, well, how, how does that happen? And Jesus doesn't leave him hanging. He's like, hey, just as I told you how to get to God's kingdom, now let me tell you what it means to be born again. And this is going to be very important. And I think it's so important for us today because how many of you know we're living in a culture that, is, that, that, that actually takes things, um, phrases, sentences, um, words of the Bible and uses them in the culture. But the problem is it waters them down. It re rewrites them. It changes the meaning of them. Born again is one of them. Because think about it. We use the word born again in our culture to basically describe someone who has like been raised up out of the, the muck and the mire of life and, and has kind of like changed their life. Like a professional athlete. In all regards, a professional athlete is like th th their career is over. But then they come out in the, like their final year and they have a year like never before. And you'll hear a commentator say something like this. It's unbelievable how, how, how great they've played this year. It's as if they have been born again. Paul and I were watching this show yesterday, this police, this cop show that we've been watching. And uh, the victim was a guy that was running a halfway house. And he himself was a former drug addict and had been in prison. He'd come out, changed his life. And, and we were watching the show. And, and at first, it just like went right by me. And this cop was saying, man, this guy got his act together. This guy cleaned himself up. He truly was born again. And I, we went, I'm like, wait a minute. I rewound it. And, and I played it again. I said, hey, Paula, I go, that's exactly what I just said to you. Because I'll, I'll go over my message with Paula. I go, that's exactly what's in my message. Is that the culture says someone is born again just because they've got their life together. They got a fresh start in life. That's not being born again. And even in the church, I believe Christians have this idea that being born again just simply means it's, it's more of kind of a, an emotional or religious experience that, that I just... It just makes me happy, and, and I got this fresh start in life, and things are good. I've been born again. That's not being born again. Now, also, let's, let's flip the coin. Sometimes we, we, you'll hear even Christians say, well, being born again, that, that's for those fanatics. That's for the holy rollers. That's not me. I'm just a Christian. <laughs> you can't call yourself a Christian and not be born again. If you're a Christian, you've got to be born again. They're linked. They go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. If you're born again, you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you are born again. It's not just for the fanatics and the holy rollers. Being born again is vital. And that's what Jesus now shows Nicodemus. Look at verse 5. In fact... In fact, here's, here's, the, here's point number three. Let me, I, I don't think I gave you that, did I? Point number three is this. Being born again means spiritual regeneration. Being born again is spiritual regeneration. It's more than just getting my life to get, 
in order. It, it's more than just a fresh start. It's, it's more than for the fanatic. It's spiritual regeneration. And this is what Jesus says to Nicodemus in verse 5. He says, truly, truly, there it is again. He's about Nicodemus. Now I'm going to support what I just said with a truth you've got to know. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, when he says born of water and a spirit, um, the water part is your natural birth. Okay, we all agree with that. Because you're born naturally from water. And I'm going to show you why that's natural. And the second one is spirit. And now here's why it's a natural birth. He says, um, so you're born of water, born of spirit. You cannot enter the kingdom kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. You see, when you and I are born physically, we're born in the flesh. But guess what? You remember last week I said um, you have material and an immaterial. You have the seen and an unseen. You have a body, which is the flesh. But guess what you're also created with? A spirit. And it's the spiritual end that Jesus is hitting here. So in verse 7, he says, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You notice Jesus keeps saying this thing about the Spirit. You got to be born of the flesh. You got to be born of the Spirit. You've got to be born of the Spirit. Just like the wind that blows around. It's like this everyone born of the Spirit. You see, here's when it comes to eternal life, it's about spiritual life. No spiritual life, no eternal life. Okay? Because here's the thing. We got to understand this. You and I live physically. You are alive physically, but apart from Christ, guess what you are spiritually? Dead. Spiritually dead. And in order to see eternal life, you have to have spiritual life. If you don't have spiritual life, you don't have eternal life. If you're not born of the Spirit, you don't get to see the kingdom of God. And so that's what it's all about. So let me show you a verse, and I have preached this verse numerous times, but it just fits perfectly in this thing. It, it, it's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It shows us our true spiritual condition without Christ. Paul is writing to the church in, in Ephesus, and he writes this. He says, and you were dead. Okay, so he's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers in Christ. And he's like, at one time, you were dead. Now, obviously, we know he's not talking about physical death, is he? Because if if these people were dead physically, it's pointless to write a letter to them. The death he's talking about is spiritually dead. They were alive physically, but at one time, they were dead spiritually. And here's why we are dead spiritually. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You followed the course of the world. You followed the prince of the power of the air, meaning you followed the ways of the devil. Not that you're a satanic worshiper, but you just followed his ways. You followed the spirit that is now at work of the sons of disobedience, meaning the sons of disobedience is this. We disobey God. Anybody other than me ever disobeyed God? 
That's what selfishness is. I don't want to do it God's way. I do it my way. And so he says, that's the way you followed. That's the way you walked. He says, among also, you once lived to the passions of the flesh. You carried out the desires of the body and the mind. Paul's just reminding them, hey, before you were a Christian, here's how you really lived. You lived for the flesh. You lived for selfish desires. You didn't care really about obeying God. You wanted to obey self. You followed the ways of the world. That's how you lived. And you've lived in your sin. You lived in your trespasses. And because how you lived that way, you were dead spiritually. And spiritual death is a problem. Because if you look at the rest of the verse, because of our death, because of our spiritual deadness, he says you were by nature children of wrath. You see, spiritual deadness creates a problem between me and God. Spiritual deadness, meaning your spirit is dead. As, as Paul said, to be absent from the body, meaning dead in the body, means being with the Lord. That's if you are spiritually alive. But if I'm spiritually dead, my spirit, meaning I am still unrighteous before God. I am still dead spiritually before God. And so if I am unrighteous before God, spiritually dead before God, then I am separated from God for all eternity with no hope, no salvation, no eternal life. Why? Because I am spiritually dead. And the only way I have eternal life is I got to be spiritually alive. But how does that happen? The only way spiritual life comes is through the Spirit, okay? I like how one commentator says it. He says it this way. Spiritual birth is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of God, which is performed in the life of a sinner, whereby the sinner is given a new heart, being brought from spiritual death to spiritual life and is made able and willing to repent of sin before God and trust alone in Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior. It's only through Christ. I am not born again through baptism. I am not born again because I am a member or have been confirmed in the church. I am not born again because of some re, um, um, denominational um, connection. I am not born again because I had some kind of emotional or, or religious experience that, that kind of fired me up a little bit. That is not being born again. Being born again only happens when I come to the place where I repent of my sin and turn to Christ alone. In the book of Titus, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it says, God saved us not because of works done by us in, unright in our righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So when you come, and I'm going to dive into this even deeper next week, 
But when you come to the place where you accept Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, and guess what he does to your spirit? He regenerates it. He brings it alive. He brings it back from death to life. And in that moment, you go from unrighteousness to righteousness before God. You go from no life to eternal life. You go from no hope to complete hope. Why? Because your spirit has been born again. Your spirit has come alive. And that only happens through Christ. Not by anything we do. I am born again only through faith in Jesus Christ. And once I place my faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit regenerates my spirit. And that makes me born again. And when I am born again, I get to see the kingdom of God. I will enter into his presence. Not because of anything I did. Nothing on my behalf. The only thing that you and I can do is be born again. And the only way you become born again is you place your faith in Christ and Christ alone. Outside of that, anything outside of that, you are still dead in your sin. And you are not born again. And you will not see the kingdom of God. You have and you must be born again. And then here's the fourth thing about eternal life and being born again. It's this. Being born again goes contrary to our thinking and beliefs. This idea of being born again, it goes completely contrary to what we think and to what we believe. Look at verse 9. So after Jesus says all this stuff about being born of the Spirit and the Spirit's got to be born and reborn, Nicodemus says, how can these things be? He doesn't go, oh, yeah, I got that. Giddy up. He's like, time out. You just said I had to be born again. How can that happen? Now you're talking I got to be born of the Spirit. How can that happen? Nicodemus is supposed to be a teacher of God's Word. Nicodemus is supposed to know what the, the, hit, hit their Bible would have been the Old Testament. But look what Jesus says to him. And Jesus answers Nicodemus, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, and you do not receive our testimony. The pronouns that Jesus is using there, the we and the are, <coughs> I believe he's talking about him, God, and the Holy Spirit. He's like, all three of us know what's going on here, dude, because we came up with this thing. And, and we've got a testimony, and I'm telling you the truth, but you don't want to receive it. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to believe it. And he goes on in verse 12. He says, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? He's just telling Nicodemus, this Pharisee, this teacher of the law, this spiritually elite person, he's like, dude, you don't have a clue. He's like, I'm not going to go any deeper. How many of you know that would have been pretty deep already? But he's like, I'm not even going to, I've just scratched the surface. I'm not going to go any deeper because you won't have a clue. But he's basically telling Nicodemus, how can you be a teacher of the law? How can you teach people when you don't know your own Bible? 
Could you imagine being a, imagine me, a pastor, and I'm saying things, and you're like, where's he coming up with that? Dude, do you even know your Bible? Because I've never read what you just said. Jesus is saying this to a religious leader, to a teacher. Because here's the thing, if, if um, Nicodemus really knew what the Old Testament said, he would have remembered in the book of Ezekiel twice. God tells Ezekiel, the prophet, and he's, he's, he's foretelling what's going to happen in the nation of Israel. And he says, I'm telling you, Ezekiel, there's going to come a day that I'm going to put a new spirit in you. And I'm going to take that heart of stone and I'm going to make it a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you. Nicodemus should have been like, oh, I got that. Yeah, I remember. I was just reading that. And yeah, I, I get it. You, yeah, the Holy Spirit thing? Yep, yep, I get it. He doesn't. Why? Because he has been so conditioned and so trained in his thinking. I get my way to God. If I just, I've been taught my entire life. If I just, if I'm a good person, if I just obey the law and fulfill the law and do it right and make sure I'm doing it to the best of my, I'll get to God. We do the exact same thing today. People all day along, well, today will say, you know what? You don't need that born again stuff. As long as you're good, you're going to heaven. As long as you go to church, you'll go to heaven. As long as you have a sincere belief and faith in something, you go to heaven. As long as you're kind and generous, you will go to heaven. And we today say the exact same thing like Nicodemus. I can do it right. And as long as I am doing it right and doing it to the best of my degree and, 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 and my ability and, I'm, I'm, and my good is outweighing my bad, I'm getting to heaven. No, we're not. Because our righteous acts, the book of Isaiah tells us that all of our righteous acts, all of my good works, all of my good deeds, everything that I think gets me right before God. The book of Isaiah says they are like filthy rags before God. Why? Because they're self-righteous acts. The only thing that gets me right before God is to be born again. And I'm telling you, this idea of being born again, this idea of accepting, needing to accept Christ outside of myself, it goes contrary to everything we think and believe today. People don't want to agree with this because we think we can get there ourselves. And Jesus is telling a very righteous man, your righteousness is not good enough. Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. And in fact, let me see if I can find it real quick. He says, um, oh, I wish, see, this was not in my notes. I wasn't going to teach this. Oh, here it is. Verse 11, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive. He says, I've told you these earthly things that you who do not believe, now you can believe. The word you 
He keeps saying you, you, you. He actually changes in the Greek from plural, I mean from singular to plural. At one time, Jesus was like, Nicodemus, you have got to. But then he starts changing it and the you becomes plural. It goes outside of just Nicodemus to everybody. Everything Jesus is saying just doesn't apply to Nicodemus. Guess what? It applies to me. It applies to Ron. It applies to everyone in this room. You have got to be born again. And if you are not born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. So the question you have got to ask yourself today as we close is this. Are you born again? And I showed you what that means. Being born again means that you'll have eternal life. Being born again means that you have received Christ, that you have been born spiritually. Have you received Christ? Do you know Christ is your Savior? If you have never come to that place where you have turned from your sin, where you have repented of your sin, where you've come to the place and you have like, I'm a sinner. The Bible tells us we're all sinners. And we all fall short of God's glory. So you are a sinner. Have you come to believe that? Have you come to accept that fact? You are a sinner and your sin will keep you from God. And have you come to that place where you say, I'm a sinner. I can't get myself to God. I can't. There's nothing I can do. I need a savior. I need help. And the only person who has done that is Jesus Christ. He died on a cross for your sin, for my sin. He took the sin of the world upon himself so that way he becomes the final sacrifice. So you and I have got to come to that place where I I'm, admit I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus died for my sin. And then I confess him as my savior. You personally have got to come to the place where you say, Jesus, forgive me. I am a sinner and I need you as my savior. Come into my life. I want to be born again. I want to be alive spiritually. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you need to do that. Because without him, you are not born again. And you will not see the kingdom of God. No matter what you do or how good you are, your righteousness does not get you into the kingdom of God. Only being born again does. Amen? Why don't we all stand and get ready to close?